Today, I want to start off our episode with an excerpt from the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World, by John Mark Comer. I'm just old enough to remember this thing from the late 90s we called boredom. Anybody? You digital natives have no clue what I'm talking about. Boredom? Is that like when you have a bad Wi-Fi connection and your Instagram feed takes more than two seconds to load? Um, kind of. Just multiply that feeling by, well, a lot. If you were born after, say, 1995, then you can't really remember a time when infinity wasn't in your front right pocket. But I can. There was a time when you'd be flying across the country, somewhere over, say, Minnesota, and you'd finish your book earlier than expected and just stare out the window with nothing to do. Or you'd be waiting in a line at your coffee shop of choice, five people ahead of you, and you'd have to just stand there. The extroverts in line would all strike up a conversation. We introverts would smile and nod, secretly thinking, why, dear God, is this total stranger talking to me? Anybody remember this? Waiting at the bus stop, stuck in traffic, sitting in the theater before a movie, in the back of a less than enthralling poli-sci class with nothing for your mind to do but wander through the infinite realm of possibility? Now, all these little moments are gone, swallowed up by the digital carnivore. The second we even feel a hint of boredom coming on, we reach for the appendages that are our smartphones, check our news feeds, answer an email, reply all, click. Read a tweet about Donald Trump's tweet about who knows what before we tweet about who knows what, look up the weather for Thursday, search for a new pair of shoes, and naturally, slay at Candy Crush. Today, we're going to talk about silence. We did it. Yes. It's a <laughs> podcast is over. That's it. I thought that that intro to the chapter silence and solitude in this book was pretty fitting uh, based upon the things that we're going to talk about today because he ends that little section uh, with a statistic from a Microsoft survey and it says this 77% of young adults answered yes to when nothing occupies my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. And what I think we're going to try to set up for you today is silence and solitude and making time to actually have those as practices in your life are essential for your spiritual growth. And actually, the modern digital age that we find ourselves in and how occupied we are uh, with our phones and different things like that proves we don't like to have those moments because of the things that might come up in our hearts or in our spirits or in our minds. And we don't really want to deal with that stuff or we're just not used to it. We were born with something to do all the time. And that's actually detrimental to your spiritual relationship, you know, with Christ. And let's be clear before we get into it, what we're not doing is glorifying social isolation or loneliness correct 
I think because in Scripture, we see there's specifically in, in the life of Jesus, uh, I think of Daniel, it tells us that it was his custom to be in prayer, and those are intentional decisions to be in silence, not just uh, off social awkwardness or, you know, sometimes brokenheartedness can lead us to places of being alone or silent, but we're talking about making the choice to intentionally be in silence before the Lord. So there's a really good article. Go check it out. It's on desiringgod.org, and it's called Why We Should Escape Social Media. Now, we're not going to talk about social media today. No, this is nothing about it. Uh, The reason why I like the article, because it focuses on something that doesn't have to do with social media, and it talks about the highlight of the article is a sermon uh, that was given by uh, Bonhoeffer, and it goes into a lot of his material, sermons, and books that he wrote. But what Bonhoeffer points out is he says that we actually, as humans, now in our age of technology and distractions, are fearful of silence. And he says this, he says, we flee silence. We race from activity to activity to avoid having to be alone with ourselves for even a moment, to avoid having to look at ourselves in the mirror. We are bored with ourselves and often the most desperate, wasted hours are those we are forced to spend by ourselves. So I think as believers, we have to know that being in silence before the Lord, maybe they're, he's saying we're fearful of like maybe what the Lord will bring out in ourselves, but that's actually a healthy thing. Specifically in Scripture, in the life of Jesus, you see uh, him being led out to... The wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, right after he was baptized, uh, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and there's just this major moment. The Father's voice comes from heaven, says that this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then it's so odd to some modern readers that all of a sudden you just see the very next verse in the next chapter that he was led up uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you would think maybe after that major moment of baptism and approval from the Father, like Jesus would just get going. Like he would hit his ministry, he would hit the towns and the villages, start teaching, start healing. Like that would be the best moment probably. All the momentum is there. Uh, It makes the most sense to us that it would be an opportune time to jump into doing some work because everybody's got it fresh in their minds that like you're the guy but he winds up out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights by himself and then it says that uh the tempter came at that point and uh one point that someone made that i thought was interesting is a lot of times you think that's like so the devil he comes to you at your weakest point you have nothing left to give Uh, You're just about to be spent, and then he shows up and tries to tempt you, which would then say that being out in that wilderness in that time of solitude would be a place of weakness. But we learn, I think, from the narrative, and you guys can weigh in on this, that the wilderness was actually a place of strength for Jesus. He needed to be out in that place of dependency because all he had left was the Word of God, and his fellowship with the Father in order to combat the temptations of the devil, which 
the Bible in the New Testament, if you read the writings of Paul, would indicate that would mean you're expressing God's strength, which would make you the most able to fight temptation. Yeah, or another way to look at it would be that that was a time of preparation. Yep. Not a time of, oh, on top of everything else, then the devil came. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to face this ta- this test, so how should I prepare? Not to speak in the first person as Jesus, but if he if that was what was going on, you could see him as saying, this will be one of the big tests that the man Jesus is going to face. We needed him to defeat those temptations. Every human being who ever lived needed one man to actually defeat temptation, and we needed this man too. And so he prepared with silence and solitude. Yeah. Very interesting. And he was in the wilderness. Like, this was a a real wilderness scenario. I think for us, sometimes, like, not having my cell phone for a day is the wilderness. (laughs) You know, like, we're talking about legit (laughs) desert alone. And uh, that ended up being a a source of, of strength. And, and confidence and, and learning in the Lord. And to Josh, to your point that you made a minute ago, Jesus didn't lead a lonely life. He he wasn't a monk. He nope. did not lead a life of solitude. Actually, the opposite. He he intentionally created a life for himself where he was surrounded with people. He surrounded himself with a circle of 12 men that he lived life with, traveled with, and there was a larger circle around that of at least a few dozen or hundreds, hard to tell, uh, who who were close, and then he lived his life in crowds and in crowded places, so much so that he eventually has to go back out into the desert because the crowds are so big that they couldn't fit in the streets of the towns that he was in. So he he intentionally lived a busy, people-filled life, mm-hmm. punctuated by, at, especially at crucial moments, and we also get a sense early in the morning often, punctuated by solitude and silence for specific purposes of preparing himself to be back in the press of daily life and lots of people. And I think when we talk about being in silence before the Lord, rightfully so, we think about, okay, how is that going to affect me personally in my life? So I think if I set a time, set aside, you know, 30 minutes in the morning to be alone in the Word, then, okay, like this is going to mean good things for me during the day. I'm going to have the Word on my mind or my heart. But what it also means is if I invest that time, which we see, like you're saying, Brian, Jesus did, because he invested that time alone with the Father, then when he was amongst other people, he had something to give to them. He drew his strength from that time of silence to impact the people around him. And the interesting thing is Matthew 4.1, Jesus is led into that place of silence and solitude by the Spirit. But when you keep reading the gospel accounts, he keeps voluntarily going back to that place. To your point, Brian, you yeah. know, like what you guys are saying, he makes an intentional play to have moments of silence and solitude. Mark 1, 32 to 35 is a good example. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, which no one's doing that for us, so we're not that busy. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And, verse 35, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Mark 6, verse 30 through 31. 
the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So sometimes it's literally taking a step back from the normal paces of life. You know, you, you brought this up earlier, Brian. Jesus wasn't a monk. He wasn't trying to constantly evade society and people. These texts prove the opposite. He was so in the throes of it that it, he was creating new rhythms to be able to have that strength and silence. And then he tries to impart that to his followers. They're excited about what they're doing. He's like, okay, that's great. We have to go take some time now. And they couldn't even get that because in that account, then the crowd show up and he feeds the 5,000. And uh, I think you have the Mark 6 passage, which highlights that it wasn't only for silence. You know, Jesus was not a, a modern urban digital atheist slash Buddhist monk. Nope. Whoa. That's he, insane. He, <laughs> did I just make that. up that category? That. There might yeah. not be such a person. Uh, he, Tweet me. He, he, was, he was creating space for a more important interaction. Mm, mm, that's a great way to put it. So that Mark 6 passage, verse 46, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land, which is actually a key detail. So what he's doing is he's taking time for silence and solitude in order to specifically pray and interact with the Father. G. Campbell Morgan has a good quote on this specific work of Jesus separating from the norm and going to pray. He says, the word praying connotes um, far more than asking. It suggests the going forward in desire to God, not for God's gifts only, but for God. It is the word for true worship, the word that describes the soul moving out toward God, desiring him, and all he has to give. And I think that that's a great way to put it. Jesus is getting realigned uh, in that fellowship with the Father when he steps into silence and solitude. You don't want to push the point too far because he is part of the Trinity. But it's interesting to think that he's constantly stepping out and spending time with the Father for some reason. It, it, it's important enough that it's constantly in the flow of the gospel narrative. It's something we have to work to implement into our lives. Like it's, it might not be easy for us to start doing this if we don't have a habit of doing it now. And not just like that quote by Morgan, sitting before the Lord, not just in prayer, like me petitioning him, which we are supposed to do, but also just learning to sit in silence myself and to hear and to receive from the Lord and to be meditating on the word. Now, one could say, well, you know, in Jesus's day, they had less distractions. 
you know, there's a lot more distractions now in our society. It's harder to pull away from all that. Maybe, but you can bet that it was difficult and challenging for Jesus to pull away from these crowds. That <clears throat> section you just read in Mark says the entire town came and he was healing people left and right. I mean, can you imagine um, spiritual darkness, the oppression? Like, can you imagine the um, how emotionally draining that must have been? And then he had to war against his tiredness and his flesh to pull away and spend that time because he knew. So yeah, it, it might be challenging, but we see the rewards that come from it and the strength that comes from it. And uh, I don't want to divert this too quickly, but I think there's two parts to this. One is this, we see from the example of Christ, this need that we have in busy lives to create, intentionally create uh, space to be with God, to speak with God. The word open in front of us, God's word speaking to us, prayers in our hearts and minds to God. So time, space, right? Psalm 62, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. The idea of, that's that idea of silence before God and waiting on him. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 77 says to the Lord, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes a diligent search. And then Psalm 119, 147, 148 says, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I might meditate in your word. Psalm 119, all these psalms, but Psalm 119 there illustrates it great. I intentionally make time before the sun rises to rise, but also... My eyes are awake through the night watches. That's not, that's just life happening. He happens to be up in the middle of the night. And you see that a bunch in the Psalms where the psalmist says, when, I'm, when I can't sleep. And uh, in the Psalms, the spaces in life are held up as times when God's word can be meditated on. I, I think that's a way of saying that God wants to fill up all of the unoccupied, unspoken for times in our lives. To go back to your original thing you read, Tony, uh, when there's no work we have to do or n- no duty that we have to perform, the corners, right, the margins of life, even the dead of night. I don't. Re- I was trying to remember. I might have said this already on an episode in the past, but it's it's such a helpful thought to me. I try to remind myself whenever we're most alone, we're most with God. Right, alone time is always uh, between two people. It's always the most intense time. If you're alone with someone you love, alone with your friend, that's always the the height of of, a, of that relationship. And so, since God is always with us, times when we don't have to think about anyone or anything else can and should be the most intensely personal times between us and Him. And that's that's the difference between a Christian and the margins in a Christian's life and just a digital monk or something. This is. This is not silence for silence sake. This is space for God to be the speaking voice in our lives. That's what Jesus was doing, departing to a desert place to pray. Uh, space for God to be the voice that we hear, for him to be the one we're paying attention to, to, to that G. Campbell Morgan quote. Uh, and so one of the best ways we do that is by turning our attention to him, by thinking about his word, or even uh, being 
being open to noticing the world he made. Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. I might want to add, except a place where everyone's face is buried in a screen and everyone's ears are full of headphones. That place might be a place where the speech and language of the created order, the heavens, the trees, the animals, the faces of other people, that place might be a place where the speech of God, the language of God is hard to hear because we have filled our eyes and our ears up with other things. Something as simple as being free to notice the trees and the clouds around you because you're not occupied with a screen or being able to talk to another human being in line at Starbucks or waiting to get your hair done or sitting uh, at the at the dealership waiting for your you know your car to get fixed if we weren't buried in screens we could notice each other we could talk to strangers we could be open to the voice of God and so you know if we have the this constant interruption of other voices other images other things which are specifically designed to grab our attention and turn it away from God and force our minds to think about what they want us to think about, how are we really going to know God? How are we really going to cultivate depth in our relationship with him? So these things are really important for us to think about. Yeah, and I think the more time we are not spending in the Lord's presence, in in silence and solitude, the more we are going to be consumed with ourselves, you know? Yes, And not looking at those opportunities to talk to someone or to invest in someone. The more we invest time in solitude and God's presence, the, again, the more we're going to have to give to our community, specifically should you know our Christian community, as the body of Christ, we all have gifts and talents, and we're to be using those to edify one another. Paul calls us to do that. And if I'm not spending time before the Lord, learning who I am, asking him to reveal that, how am I then going to be a blessing to the body of Christ the way I should be? Andrew Sullivan had an article he wrote in 2016 for New York Times that kind of adds to that and says, this new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. This is the threat to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. In the Screwtape Letters, which is a great book, uh, there's this quote from Screwtape, and he's basically making the case that the devil's realm is a kingdom of noise. And there's this great quote that says, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. And I just wonder how much of our inability to experience intentional silence and solitude is actually the devil, subverting humans' ability to truly be present with the Lord and from that be able to be used to minister to other people. We have to be able to fight against this. So much of what people talk about with normality and like conversations about social media or even phones in general, just like, well, this is the way that it is now. Like You have to figure out how to face it. And I would just push back a little bit and say, I don't even know if that's a true statement. Just because it's the way that it is doesn't mean that it came from God. You know, we belabored that. Yeah, I mean, let's be really honest. Tinder is the way that it is. 
So is that just how we have to relate to people? Like those ways of thinking have not maturely reflected on scripture and our calling to be different and the power that God gives us in the Holy Spirit to actually be completely different people. And I think we can look through scripture as we have today. We can look through history at other great men and women of faith, uh, missionaries, you know, like you, one thing that is consistent in the life of so many people and Christians who we consider heroes of the faith in the past, even recent history, is they had time with the Lord. They had time with the Lord that they set aside. If you read about Hudson Taylor, I read a book about him not long ago, and like toward the end of the book, it just says how the secret for him was just being alone with the Lord, like making that decision to get up an hour earlier and be alone. That can make, mean huge things in the life of a believer and in the lives of people around them. We have to get back to that. That is not an uncool idea. Yeah, It is not an old idea that is supposed to be tossed out. It's something that I think we really need in our age range to really practice intentionally seven days a week. In the book of Revelation, the last letter in the letters to the church is Jesus exhorts that church that was the lukewarm church we all remember and he said he said i'm standing at the door and knocking if if anyone opens i'll come in and dine with him i think what we're saying today is just like let's give the lord like that opportunity like making time to be in silence is giving god the opportunity to speak into our lives and if we're not making that effort Maybe there's blessings the Lord hasn't given us yet or things he hasn't spoken to us yet because simply we just haven't given him the opportunity to do it. And he says, if you open the door, I'll come in. Like there is that part on our end that's, that's effort involved. And there is blessing if we step out and do that. 